Good evening to all of you, both those of you who are here in the building tonight and those who are in various locations joining us either over the internet or in some other means. It is a joy to be here tonight and to spend some time with you considering the Word of God. We're going to be turning to the book of Jude tonight, and we'll be considering just verses 3 and 4 of the book of Jude. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you, or with you, I should say. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, that's great. Otherwise, I'll read it to you, and you're welcome to listen and meditate upon it as I read it. So the book of Jude, again, I'll be focusing on verses 3 and 4 in our sermon tonight. And if you want to know a little bit about what I'll be asking and answering, the question is, what do I need to know? So what do I need to know? In Jude chapter, uh, rather, verses 3 and 4 answer that question. Hear the word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire." Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his, un- of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy in those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of God. May he bless it as we hear it explained. This particular question that I began with tonight, what do I need to know, is a sort of question that I think appeals to two groups of people. And one of the great blessings of this stay-at-home order and all the disruption it's brought to the life of the church is in amazing fashion there are many, and perhaps some of you who are listening tonight, who have not really thought about the Christian faith until your world begins to crumble. And one of the questions you may wonder as you think about the Christian faith is this one, what do I need to know? Now there's a second group for whom this question is a poignant one as well, and that may be you who have known the Christian faith for a long time. And you ask yourself the question, what do I need to know, either because I'm very young and I'm learning about the Christian faith, or because you have known the Christian faith for a very long time and you have thought about what you know in an inappropriate way. And as we work through tonight's passage, I'll explain to you more fully what I mean by an inappropriate way. But I do want to show you tonight from verses 3 and 4 in this book of Jude that the apostle answers for us this very basic question about the Christian faith, what do I need to know? And wherever you find yourself tonight in God's world thinking about what it means to know Jesus Christ, at least part of what you need to know is found here. What do I need to know? I need to know the truth of the gospel. And that is explained for us in verses 3 and 4 in three different ways. Can I call it three different layers? There's the outer layer, the middle layer, and then the core of that truth. And I want to begin by reading again for you verse 3 of Jude to explain that outer, most general answer to this question. There Jude says, Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to what? To contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. I'm going to begin explaining this passage tonight with that word contend that is found midway through the verse. Contend is simply something that we care a lot about and therefore we strive for it. I'm going to give you an example. If my wife was here tonight, you would know that she is a triathlete. She, run, she loves to run and to swim and to bike. Last summer, she did a half Ironman. If you're a triathlon, you know what that means. It's a very big deal. And my job was to sit along the sidelines and watch her go past. I saw her probably for a total of 20 seconds in all the hours it took her to run the race. The most poignant memory I have 
is watching her run down the last 200 yards or so. The run is the last part of the triathlon, and as she was running, I could see in her face that she was contending for something. She was going to finish the race. All of these months and hours that were spent preparing for this, finally they were coming to a moment at which she was going to complete the task she set her mind to. She cared a lot about this thing. And so in the moment at which she had opportunity to do something about it, she contended for it. She strove with all her might to bring this thing finally to a conclusion. Now you can sense in my own voice the passion which with, with which I care about what she cares about. And so I encouraged her to contend for this, to strive for it because it was important. Now Jude uses similar language here. And he is not describing a triathlon or other athletic competition. He is talking about striving for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. And you'll notice he describes this thing that we pursue, that we care about because it matters so deeply. By using just two words, he says it is the faith. What is it that we strive for that we care about so much because it matters? What is it that we need to know? It is what we call the faith. Now when you hear faith, you may think of one of two things. One of those things is what you personally apprehend about Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? One of the questions you might ask and answer for yourself is, do I trust in him that if I were to pass from this life to the next, that I would be with him? That is a question of faith. There are more basic questions of faith. Many of us have struggled during this time of stay at home with sins that have sort of gripped our hearts. We're not around other church members who encourage us and challenge us. And so we have struggled with being faithful in following after Jesus. That is a matter of my faith. What I believe. Do I substitute other things for resting and relying upon Jesus Christ? But Jude in this passage is not talking about faith in that way. He's not talking about my personal apprehension. That is what I believe, what I trust he is rather talking about that faith that must have the article. He is talking about the faith. It is the same thing that Paul describes in other places. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Again, now reading from an earlier passage, or rather later passage in the scriptures from Galatians 1 verse 23. Here it reads, and they were only they only were hearing and said, this talking about Saul who has now become Paul, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. You'll notice in these passages as well as various other passages in the New Testament, the apostles are talking about not my personal apprehension of something, although certainly Paul had that, and certainly other apostles had that, and we are encouraged to have that. You're encouraged to have that tonight. But he is talking about something which is to be believed. That is a set, a set standard of belief that summarizes, that contains the Christian faith. And the way in which we come to know what that faith is, 
according to the scripture itself, is by knowing the truth that God has given to us. So that the apostles can say in various places, including Jude here, to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. Here he's speaking about that sum total of all that God has given in the Old and New Testaments. For example, in Ephesians 2 verse 20, there we read about the truth of the word that was given through the Old Testament, the prophets, and the New Testament, the apostles. There we have a summary of how that truth has come to us. And here the apostle, pointing again to that sort of notion, he is talking about that sum total of what God has given to us in the Word of God. So that one of the ways we can answer this question, friend, whether you're new to the faith or you've walked in the faith for a very long time, one of the ways we can answer the question, what do I need to know, is by me answering what it says here. You are to contend for, you are to strive, to, you are to believe those things that are found in the Scriptures. What do you need to know as a Christian? You need to know what is found in this book. You need to know what is found in the Bible. Now let me just pause there for a moment. After I give you this answer to the question, what are you supposed to believe? Because one of the things that we are challenged by when we consider this answer to the question is whether or not we really love the Scriptures. It's hard to go very far from the Old Testament book of Psalms until you find a psalm, perhaps Psalm 19, or a longer version, Psalm 119, in which the psalmist describes his love for the Word of God in terms that would seem rather challenging to us. He says, God, your Word is so precious to me, it's sweeter than honey. It's more value to, valuable to me than even gold. Just think for a moment what that means. I'd ask you as children, what is the thing that you love to eat the most? For me, there's a certain cake my wife makes. It's a chocolate cake and it is coconut pecan frosting on the top. I've arrived at the age of 48 where I shouldn't eat that very often. But for those of you who are children who have really good metabolisms, Imagine that your mom or your dad says to you, what would you like to have? Anything that you would want. What sweet, what dessert, whatever it is that you would desire. Here it is. Go ahead and eat it. Now ask yourself in your mind, we're here at the end of dinner. Would I like to eat this chocolate cake with coconut pecan frosting? That's really what I'm striving for. That's what I'm contending for. Or would I like to spend 20 minutes reading the Word of God? What do you prefer? If we're honest with ourselves, we would often say, it's probably the cake. <laughs> and the challenge here that the apostle gives us is if we're striving and contending for the faith, to make that faith, the faith, a valuable, important, significant, certainly outstanding part of our lives. To those to whom Jude wrote, you see in the rest of this book, this is not simply a book in which he's describing some things. He is writing this into a context in which his audience was severely tried. In fact, you'll notice about halfway through this book, this letter, he describes those 
who are not faithful to the faith. He uses descriptive language. They're like clouds that hold no rain. Right? They're empty. They're vacuous. Let me suggest to you tonight, they arrived at that reality because they did not know the truth. Your life may seem very good on the outside. You may have built a facade that is everyone fooled. Others would look at you and say, what a wonderful, outstanding man you are. How wonderful your family runs. How great you are as a grandmother. But do you realize that those things can be empty, they can be a shell apart from the truth that makes them substantive? So what do I need to know? What do I need to know whether I'm coming to know Jesus for the first time or I've known him for a long time? What do I need to know? Brother, sister, friend, you need to know the truth of God's word. You must know the scriptures. But there's also another way to describe what Jude talks about in this passage. Because he says to contend for the faith that is once delivered for all the saints. For certain people have crept in unaware, now verse 4, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he did there? Did you notice? He did not say they simply reject the faith, but he went on to specify the way in which they rejected the faith. They have gone headlong into sensuality and they have denied our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now the second way I can answer the question, what is it that I need to believe, is in the way that he answers at the end of verse 3 into verse 4 when he takes a particular challenging situation and he distills the major truth that is found in the Word of God and he applies it to that context. It's the same kind of thing that we find the writers of the Scriptures doing in various places. For example, if you're familiar with the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, there in chapter 5 we have a summary of the law of God. In chapter 6, particularly in verse 5, We have a summary of the summary of the law of God. Now, what do I mean by that? The book of Deuteronomy was written to the Israelites before they cross into the land of Canaan. And they were warned, and it was true, that those who lived in Canaan before them, those they were called to drive out, were those who did not worship the God that is found in the Scriptures. They did not observe the Ten Commandments and the God who gave those Ten Commandments. And so Moses says to the people of Israel, please listen before you go into an ungodly world that will challenge your faith. What it means to live in covenant faithfulness to him, the Ten Commandments, and please understand who it is that gives you these commandments as you engage with your culture. So he says in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, there is one God. And he means to say that as a summary within a situation of the whole of the Scriptures. We find something very similar in 1 Timothy chapter 3, near the end of that chapter. There, Timothy, Paul has been writing to Timothy the challenges of a young pastor engaging his particular context, those who were in opposition to Timothy. And what does Paul do at the end of chapter 3? 
he gives a similar summary within the context of that church that is meant to capture major truths of the scriptures about Jesus. And throughout church history, we have done the same thing. Do you realize we did that together tonight? One of the first things we did as a worshiping community was speak together the words of the Apostles' Creed. Why did we do that? Because the Apostles' Creed was written a generation of the last of the apostles to capture the truth of God's word and its major teaching within the context of its culture. The same thing was true in 325, and later on in 425, and later on in our confessions and the creeds that we hold dear. What do they do for us? What they do is what Jude talks about here. They extract major truths from the scriptures, and they say at this point in history, please hear, watching world, brothers and sisters in the Lord, what it means to confess Jesus, what it means to name the truth that is found in the faith. And they speak particular truths, particular summaries of that word of God in order to faithfully summarize those truths and to speak them to a culture that would deny those truths. Now the way that I'm framing this means the answer to our question, what is it that I need to know, is at least partially answered on this more middle layer by the answer, we need to know the major truths of the scriptures. You need to know the major truths. I'd illustrate that by saying we read through this book of Jude Do any of you know what it means for Michael to contend over the body of Moses? If you do, please stand up and illuminate us. It's been the sort of passage that people have struggled over for years and years, generations. That is not considered one of the major truths of the scriptures. However, as Jude himself points out at the end of verse 3 into verse 4, that's different than the sort of perversion of the grace of God and denying Jesus Christ as our master. Those are truths for which we need to contend, strive, fight for, and pursue. Now, if I were to pause for just a moment and reflect with you what this means, you may ask, well, why do we need those summaries then? I've already hinted at one of the reasons, and I want to explain that more fully for you. One of the reasons we need the summaries of the Christian faith is because the Christian faith is always challenged, both by our own hearts, but also by the culture in which we live. And questions that are asked within that culture deserve an answer from the Word of God. So, for example, the question of the Trinity, the question of the deity of Jesus and the relationship between His deity and humanity, those were major questions in the early church history period. Later on, and we see this reflected in our own standards, questions, for example, about the church and about the nature of the sacraments were important and critical questions to be answered. And so the church distilled from the word of God what this truth is, what the faith taught, and summarized them, and we continue to hold those things true. We believe them. We teach them to our children. And if someone asks me, what do you believe about Jesus? I can say He is both human and divine, one person. He is God, fully and truly. He is my Savior. 
Those kinds of confessions are helpful. Which leads us to this question. How is the faith being challenged in the world in which we now live? I will simply say to you the questions that are being answered in our day are not the same questions exactly. They were asked early on in church history or by our forefathers during the time of the Reformation. We need to know those truths, understand that history, hold fast to what they taught, but it does not excuse us, brother or sister, from carefully understanding and articulating how the truth of God's Word applies to the time and now we which, uh, to which we now live. It is our tendency, especially as people with our tradition, to make our confessions these summaries of the faith into those things that we hold to be exhaustive in nature. And when we do so, it seems to me we're denying the very thing that the apostle does in this passage. Our confessions we hold true, we believe them, we affirm them, we're thankful for them, but we do not take them to be exhaustive. We do not believe that they are the same as the Word of God itself. And therefore... Please smile with me as you hear this, even though I cannot see your faces, many of your faces. And therefore, because these are summaries that lead us to the fullness of the Scriptures, we are always fully capable, always fully capable. Please take courage from this. We are always fully capable of engaging our culture with the questions of the day, whatever those questions may be. Praise the Lord for that reality. Which brings me to the third way that we can answer this question. What do I need to know? We can answer this question by simply saying all that is contained in the Word of God. We can also answer this question within the particular context in which we are, by pointing out the main truths of the Christian faith. That is, we can point to our confession, both the confession we have held dear for many years and the confession we now make in the culture in which we live. But we can also do this. In fact, I would say, unless we do this, all the rest of what I've said is irrelevant and really makes very little difference. He says at the end of verse 4, look again. He says, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord. And then these two precious words, Jesus Christ. I call them precious words. Because along with the writers of the scriptures, I want to affirm with you tonight that the faith that we affirm and contend for finds its completion in one being, Jesus Christ. In fact, it is possible to be an expert in the Word of God, to know the original language, to parse that well, to be a systematic theologian and to understand all the ways in which the various doctrines of the Scriptures fit together and to present wonderful lectures about how those things are. It is possible for us to know biblical theology backward and forward, to be so understanding of the stories of the Scripture that we can stump even the best teachers in our church. It is possible for us to know the history of the Word of God and how it is worked out in the history that we share as the church and yet not have the real answer to this question, 
What do I need to know? Because what I'm suggesting you in the third place is not simply what we need to know, but who we need to know. That is, we need to know Jesus. Because ultimately, we, what we contend for is not a book. It is not a summary of the truth. The one we contend for is Jesus, my Lord and our Savior. Perhaps one of the ways I could describe this for you is by thinking about something that's happening to my middle child, my daughter. She's now at that precious and incredibly frightening age where she is taking driver's ed. And what she does is a number of times a week she goes down to this professional driving school. These did not exist in Minnesota, they do in Michigan. And these people are paid every day to drive around with beginning drivers often risking their lives, I've discovered, in order to teach them how to drive. But before you go out to drive the car, you sit in the classroom. And one of the questions that everyone wants to know is these instructors are describing various signs with their shapes, their colors, what they indicate, how far to be behind a car when you come to a stop sign. I'm being re-educated as well. How far to, to, to leave between you and the car that you're following when you're driving down the interstates. All of this is being taught to my dear daughter. And do you know what the question that she has in mind often? Is this going to be on the test? In fact, she asks me that when she comes home. Dad, I don't remember all those signs. Does it really matter? Do I need to know that? Is it going to be on the test? Now, when I said earlier tonight that there were two groups of people for whom this sermon is particularly challenging, one is those is those who are joining us tonight who are new to Christ and are trying to figure out what do I need to know. There's a second group as well. And that's the group I want to address now. It's those of us who have been in the church a long time. And we have reduced often the Christian faith to the question my daughter asks in driving school. Here's the information. What do I need to know? And as long as we know the right things and we can speak the right things, as long as we can sound like we know what we're talking about and someone asks us, what do you believe about that or that thing over there or that truth, we can say, I believe what the scriptures teach. I can point you to the place and the confessions that address that. You realize, friend, it's possible to do that over and over and over and yet never know Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Then it's not to degrade in any way the scriptures. We're to say the confessions are not important. They are. But it is possible to know the scriptures and to believe the confessions and yet not have Jesus Christ. And tonight I want to ask you this very basic question. What do you need to know in terms of Jesus? Do you know him? I'm not asking, do you know truths about him? I'm not asking, do you know the history of what the church has confessed about him? You should know those things. I'm asking you what Jude asks at the end of verse 4, how we should contend for the faith. We should strive and pursue not simply information, but Jesus himself. Are you doing that? One of the dear ladies who's new to our church, someone who has not been reformed, that's always very refreshing to me, to talk to people who come from different traditions 
She said, Pastor, this may be a little weird, but every morning I get up and I say, good morning, Lord, what are we going to do today? I thought, that's strange. That's not what my parents did. I don't remember reading that in the children's catechism. There I learned who is God and what else did God make and why did God make you and everything else. Those are the questions I learned. But for her, she was embodying the everyday presence of God in her, heart, in, in her life. For her, it was not simply a matter of believing certain things about Jesus, but understanding that she walked with her Savior day after day after day. And I'm not saying you should get up in the morning and say that, especially if your spouse begins to wonder what happened to you. All I'm suggesting to you is that resting and relying upon Jesus Christ makes the summary of that truth and the full scriptures come alive makes those things precious, makes those things critical for my existence and for yours. So that tonight, really what I want to do is give you an answer that is this. What do you need to know? You need to know Jesus. You need to lean on him, to rest in him, to trust him follow him, to obey him, to seek him, to love him with your whole heart. And then you'll come to realize these summaries of the Christian faith and the whole scriptures have been given to, God, given to us by God so that we would know him. I'm delighted that at this point in church history, God has called us worthy to endure a time of so much upset in culture, our communities, our families, the church, because one of the great benefits of things being unusual and strange is this. We can ask simple questions and they seem a whole lot more important. May you also know this, the answer that comes from Jude 3 and 4. What is it that you are to believe the Gospels as the truth contained in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I am delighted tonight to speak these words to my brothers and sisters because for those of us who know Jesus, we never tire of these truths. We want to know our Savior. Lord, we pray, we long for a closeness to Him in our lives. That what he desires, we desire. Where he goes, we follow. Even to the deepest and darkest place, even when the, when the struggle is real, we do not see, we do not perceive that life is upset, but rather we see our Savior beckoning us, calling us, follow me, dear child, wherever I would lead. We rejoice tonight in the truth that you've given us and pray that every person who's both in this building, in the tent, and the lawn, those who are listening over the internet and participating in that way, Lord, we ask in boldness tonight that this time that is so unusual in the life of the church would actually be used by your divine power to be a time in which we, are grow, in which we grow and are strengthened in our faith. And you will create a church that comes out of this stronger and more convinced of the truth of your word as it is centered in Jesus Christ. Lord, it is because only your power could accomplish this purpose that we pray with such boldness. In your Son we ask, amen.
friends, let's sing together, Hallelujah, my Redeemer.